I came across this little cartoon, and it reminds me of our theme for this um, passage. First Peter chapter 1, it says, Why, hello there, little friend. The little flower is there. And, and then it says, Even in the unforgiving desert of this litter-strewn parking lot, life finds a way. And isn't how we feel sometimes? We feel like we're just this beautiful flower in the midst of a parking lot. And then it says, Your testament to the enduring strength of beauty and a beacon of hope in this cold, cruel world. And then it gets run over by a car. <laughs> hey, life is hard. Sometimes life is, isn't it? We, we go into life and sometimes it is just hard. You imagine it's a cold, cruel world in which you are purposefully, you have purposefully chosen to embrace. We're going to start a letter. We're going to start a series in the book of First Peter. Peter is writing to people, not in California, but he's writing to people spread out and probably around the country of Turkey. Kind of the, if you will, the north of it and definitely the east and maybe parts of the south and central Turkey. And these are people who have a connection to Judaism, exiles, or some of them are Jews converted into Christianity, some of them are Gentiles. And, and the culture of that time is a person of the way, a Christian, because they would consider them an atheist. They would probably lose some family, lose some friends in the process of converting to Christianity. And life was a cold, cruel world. These people were isolated. You'll see in a moment that they were miles and miles apart from each other. And they might or might not known of the other churches. And if they did, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have social media to encourage them. They didn't have, they didn't have um, telephones to call them up and and they just kind of were isolated in these islands of Christian faith. So this morning we're going to talk about what is life like for us. When sometimes when it is cold, life is hard. It is a lonely, isolated, and forgotten place we live in. We're going to from Peter the hope that he has given us, the, the glorious living hope that he has given us. Because we need it. Sometimes life is really difficult. Sometimes life is lonely. Sometimes we feel isolated in life. Sometimes we feel powerless, weak, in the midst of a world that is just kind of like a steamroller over the top of us. Sometimes we're distressed. Sometimes we're discouraged. And sometimes we're even doubtful. And it's okay. It's okay to be doubtful. Imagine yourself doubtful. Imagine yourself isolated. Imagine yourself kind of wondering, is this what I've put my faith in? And so, so you're a Christian world that is not friendly at times to the Christian faith, how are you going to respond? Well, you're going to respond by receiving a letter. So I want you to imagine that you received a letter. You received a letter from a friend. I asked this question to a couple of friends of mine the other day. I said, if you were to receive a letter, well, let's, let's just say I'm going to ask you to think of somebody, think of somebody important in your life. Somebody in your history, somebody that is very important to you. And, and it could be somebody who was, who was important to the world, but this is going to be more the idea that it's important to you. After you think about that person who was important to you, and, and I got, it has to make sure that it's not your, your spouse, this illustration. Everybody know it, everybody can everybody think of somebody that's important to them. Go ahead and raise your hand, because I just want to make sure we're all on board. Okay, now imagine you were to receive a letter from that person. How would you, how would you, and, and it's a letter, it's not an email, it's not a text, it, it's not an Instagram post, it is an actual, you know, thing you got in the mail, you guys remember those things, right, with a stamp and handwritten on top of it, right, 
You remember that? Imagine that you received a letter from this very important person. Would you, when you got home and you put it on the table, go, okay, here's a bill, there's another credit card application, oh, there's an advertisement, here's a letter from this very important person, and, and you continue, I'll just throw all that stuff away, walk, walk away. What would you do? You would, you would probably sit down, and I got a letter from this very important person. I'm going to stop and I'm going to read it, right? Because that person in your life, in your life, is important. So, imagine you got a letter. To me, there's a important person that helped me get through college. She helped me navigate Cal State San Bernardino. And her name is Dr. Dolores Tano. And imagine, I imagine myself getting this letter. And part of this illustration is based upon when I asked the friends, what would happen if they got an important letter, what it would be like? Would they sit and would they read it carefully? Absolutely. So Dr. Tano writes me and says, I've been thinking about and praying for you. I want you to know that God is over the top in love with you. Keep rejoicing in his goodness, even though you're going through some difficulties. Continue expressing his love to others and always build with inexpressible joy. I took and I summarized 1 Peter 1 through 9 for the sake of this illustration. But imagine what I would do if I got that letter. I would read it and I would say, wow, doctor, boy, you had an impact on my life. Peter is writing to churches that are scattered. And the first is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's introducing himself. He's reminding himself. He's reminding them that, hey, this is just not an ordinary piece of mail. This is just not an ordinary letter. This is from Peter. This is from somebody probably in Portland, up at least in the um, area of Turkey. And, and so we probably had some interactions with some of these churches. If not, they knew who he was. This is Peter who walked with Jesus. This is Peter who, who saw Jesus feed thousands, who saw Jesus heal a leper, heal a blind man, heal a lame man, a mute, a deaf. He walked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. And, and Jesus took his hand and grabbed him out of the ocean. Uh, and, you know, he saw that, and he was participant with that. And, and, and he was there the whole time, and, and yet at the end he saw Jesus nailed to the cross, and he saw him bleed, he saw him get beaten, and he knew he denied him. And he saw them, and he knew they put Jesus in the tomb, and he knew that. And then three days, the tomb was empty. And he, he didn't know what to do. And then he saw Jesus alive. He saw Jesus. This is Peter who saw and talked and ate with Jesus after the resurrection. That guy is an important person to listen to. That guy is significant to our faith and, and to their faith. And so Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, both before and after the resurrection of Jesus. I want you to see the gravitas. I want you to see the importance. I want you to see the significance of just that little greeting in this letter. You guys there? You guys tracking? This is going to be important. We're going to do a little bit different than I've done other sermons. And then he says this. He says, To God's elect, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They're probably... One, maybe two or three people in this whole entire room who even know where those are, right? Raise your hand if you know where these are. One, two, three, four, yeah, maybe four, right? And you go, okay, I know where Asia is, right? But it's not the same Asia you're thinking of, okay? How about Bithynia? Well, I thought I, thought I, thought I went through Bithynia after I passed needles, okay? Um, <laughs> It just seems like it's in the middle of nowhere. Well, so let me give you an, an example of how far up from one another. 
I took Google Maps and I said, okay, this is kind of Turkey, the giant country of Turkey area. And then, and then so then it is about 1,400 miles. Asia, the central area of this, is about 1,400 miles, give or take. Again, I'm being general, so you could look on Google Maps and figure it out specifically if you want. That would be fine. But for the purpose of this sermon, it's about 1,400 miles north of Jerusalem. Okay, And then each one of these communities is probably three to 400 miles away from the center of Turkey. And so what I did was I said, well, what would we have that would be like it? So we could take, if my little pin works, um, and it won't at the second, but should say, imagine you're going to go from California about 1,400 miles north. You would get to um, this place in Oregon called um, Eugene, Oregon. You'd get to Eugene, Oregon. Okay, so Eugene, Oregon. Now you're a church in Eugene, Oregon. Now you don't have public transportation. You don't have a car. At best, you have a mule, okay? And then, and then the other community would be up in Vancouver. So you'd have a community up in Vancouver. You'd have a community in Spokane, Washington. That's really East Washington. Then you have a community in Boise, Idaho. And then you'd have a community down in Eureka, California. Now, there are probably communities, imagine the difference between Eureka, California, and Boise, Idaho, just in cultures. That's a pretty significant difference. One, you got, you got I'm going to stereotype, you got the potheads in Eureka, right? And you got the gun-toting people in Idaho, right? Neither one of them are going to um, kind of like each other, right? And so, so you have these two separate communities, but they have something in common. They have the fact that they love Jesus, and, and Peter is significant to them. So Peter is writing a letter to these communities, these general areas. And so it's going to be a general letter as we walk in the next couple of weeks together. It's going to be a general ideas, and so we will be able to apply these things specifically to us as we move on. This thought for us is we need to recognize the significance of our relationship with God. I think that's the first thing that Peter calls them to do is recognize the, re- the significance of your relationship with God. It's not, a, it's not an ordinary thing. It's not a normal thing. It's just not a casual thing. And that's kind of what Trevon was trying to get to in our songs. It's, it's a significant thing. It, it, it is a deeply personal thing. And so, so Peter says this. He says to all these communities who have been chosen by God, you, believer, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, sprinkled with his blood. And when I see that, when I attack a package, this is how I look at a package, passage. I want to show you, this is what I would do. I, I, just, I just start to highlight, I just start to encircle some things. And so, let me, let's look at each one of these things, because this is all in one verse, these things. One, the Trinity is there. We as Christians believe in the triune nature of God separates us apart from other religions. We believe that God is a Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 says, God the Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. It's right there in the verse. Peter is opening with the triune nature of God. He's saying this is different than Apollo and Zeus. He is just different than, than all the Greek gods, the pantheons of gods that are there. He is saying that God is one and yet in three parts. It's a triune nature of God. Second thing he says is each one of those parts of God have a very specific role. God's foreknowledge. God the Father, the foreknowledge. He, now, this isn't, this isn't wrapped up, and I looked at a lot of commentaries. This isn't the idea of predestination that you were ordained to be chosen in this passage. 
This is the fact that God just knows you. And he knows. He, he knows what is going on. God is God. Sanctifying work of the Spirit. We'll get it sanctifying. That's a kind of a Christian word. And if you're not in a Christian church, you might not know what that means. And so in a moment, I'm going to help you understand what that means. But the Holy Spirit is in the process of sanctifying. And then Jesus, his blood, the nature of God, has the fact that God knows all. God is in the process of working in us. And God shed his blood for us through the work of Jesus Christ. You can kind of see that this is packed with stuff. And so let's look a little bit about what sanctification means. One person says, this is a little more academic, and then I'll get to a very, very easy to understand. It says, sanctification is a work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and we are enabled more and more to die into sin and to live unto righteousness. Let me give you bottom line what that means. It's being rich of God. Reshaped your past, your present, and your future. Sanctifying. Hey, you were justified. Justified is a one and done thing. Sanctifying is a progressive work of God in your life. Let's look at how that happens. There's an issue of your past. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 6 says. And what is, wait, and that is what some of you are. But you were washed. Past tense. Past tense. It's saying, it's saying you were washed. You were sanctified. In other words, it's already happened to you. You have been sanctified. You have been washed of your sins. You are clean. You were justified in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and by the Spirit of God. See the Spirit of God working in you. Tell me, I want to continue to unpack this. Present. Not did he just do something in your past, but he's done something and he's doing something today. The passage says, 2 Corinthians 3, we are all being transformed. See that? that? That's an action that is happening to us today. We are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You were sanctified. You are being sanctified, if you will. You are being transformed. Now you've got the future. Jude 24. I like Jude doesn't have any chapters. Really easy to figure out. Jude chapter 24. No, not chapter. What does it say to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you before his glorious presence without fault, with great glory? That will happen to you in the future, church. Look, God is going to present you without fault in front, in, in his presence. You are going to be washed clean. When you stand in front of the presence of God, not because of something that you have done, but because of everything that God has done for you. Church, that should give an amen. Come on, come on, come on. We, we talked about how we can do that. That, that should be going, what? I, it, the burden of your sin that you carry should be lifted up and released. God has forgiven it. He's in the process of making you in, in his image. And when you get to heaven, when you get to heaven, God will present you before his glorious presence and he's not going to say, Paul, here, you can be in my presence, but you sure did screw up. That pride of yours got in trouble. That anger of yours got in trouble. Those fantasies of yours got in trouble. So you, you, get, you get the dark corner of heaven. He's not going to say that. He's going to present me. He's going to present me before his glorious presence without fault. He's going to present you 
Each one of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, each one of you who have bowed your knee and said, Yes, Lord, enter into my heart. Yes, Lord, have my every. He's going to present you without fault and blameless into his glory. Church, this is, this is what he's writing to these churches that are scattered abroad, these churches that are, that are kind of lonely, that are discouraged, that are, that are being ostracized by the community. He's telling them that when you stand in front of God, God's not going to look at you and say, well, you're just, you're a lowly person. Oh, oh you, you sinned. Oh, oh, you did this. Oh, you did that. He's not going to hold those things against you. He's going to present you because of what Jesus Christ did before his glorious present without fault. Past, you were saved from sin's penalty. Present, you have power. Future, you will be saved from sin's presence. That's the way it needs to go, church. You need to see that. And Peter is writing to this church back to the same verse, verse 2. It says, the chosen, you, the elect, the chosen, who have been chosen. Look what the rest of the highlight says to be obedient. That's our job. You, church of Jesus Christ, you have been chosen. You've been chosen to be obedient. You got that? That's our job. Our job. Peter Peter doesn't put a big burden on us. He says, you, you have been chosen to be obedient. The elect, those people who are are in front of the future, will be chosen to be obedient. Grace and peace to be yours in abundance. See that picture? That rabbit's happy, isn't it? Grace and peace to yours in abundance. That's what it's like. He's saying, you know what? There's an abundance. You don't just get so much grace. You don't get so much peace. You get an abundance, like, like a room filled with carrots to a rabbit. Second, we're only in verse two. Second, realize what you have received. Realize what you have received. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never spoil. Parent that you need to see. You've been given something into and you've been put into. You see the words into. You've been blessed by God. He has given you in his great mercy into new birth, into a living hope. Not just a hope hope. Not just a regular kind of hope, but, but the hope that we have as believers is a living hope versus a dead hope. It, it's a living hope. In other words, in other words, our hope, our hope is, is eternal. Our hope is progressive. Our hope is continually growing. Our hope, our hope is alive because Jesus is alive and our hope is not dead. So I took and made a table. What's the difference between regular hope and living hope? And I used as an illustration because Peter does as any inheritance. Inheritance, spiritual, our living hope is spiritual, and our regular inheritance might be family. I remember years ago when my mom died. I was thinking, well, okay, what kind of inheritance do I get there? We got a dilapidated trailer filled with stuff. Stuff that we really didn't want. It was kind of like, that can't be my hope. My hope can't be when my parents die, I get their stuff. Is that really our hope for our satisfaction of what comes next? An earthly thing. And so, so regular hope is empty. Living hope inspires. Regular hope, it's frustrating. Living hope is guaranteed. Regular hope, eh, it's false. 
Living hope is true. Regular hope is deceptive. Living hope is never lost. Regular hope, you can lose it. I read a book not long ago by John Grisham called The Testament. And in that book, it's a, it's a fictional novel. In that book, it's about a, an eccentric billionaire who, who has five kids from multiple wives. And, and he's old. He's like, I don't want to offend anybody. Let's say 99. Because <laughs> if I said 70, some of you go, ah, old. And so he's an old man, and he knows that his kids are just maneuvering and conniving to get the money. That's all his kids want with him. And, and he admits in the book that he admits he hasn't been a good dad, and, and he understands, but he doesn't want to give his money to them. And so what he does, and it's pretty brutal, what he does is he connives a way to get them all in a room and for them to legally agree that he is of sound mind and sound body. And then they legally agree, they bring in psychologists, they say, yes, yes, this old man is good, because they think, writing on the testimony of these psychologists that are interviewing him, they think that that's great, we proved that, we proved that dad's sane, and then we get the money. We're talking millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to be divided amongst the kids. And so he says that they get all of this stuff, they turn off the video camera, and he quickly throws that testament away. He signs another will, and he gives it to his one long-lost daughter who's now doing missionary work in Brazil, in the Congo. And he jumps out a window and kills himself. See, all these kids, his kids, all they wanted in their hope, the book is about their frustration of, of, of having proved him sane, and now they've got to prove that he was insane. And that's the plot of the book. Meanwhile, the missionary girl doesn't want anything to do with the money because her hope is not built upon resources and money and power and prestige. Her hope is really built on sharing Jesus Christ with the people who are lost. Quite a fascinating What your hope is built upon. Is it built upon the fact that if you just had enough money to pay your bills every month, you'd be happy? Is it built upon if you just were in the right relationship, if you found the right girl, found the right boy, started dating the right person, you would be happy? If you had enough money, had enough resources, if you were healthy enough, is your, what is your hope built upon? My prayer is that your hope is built upon Jesus Christ. Because things, things and relationships will always hurt. Jesus Christ will not let you down. Realize what you have received. Therefore, you need to reframe your struggles. What does he say here? This inheritance, the inheritance that we have, the living hope that we have, is to who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed. Look at this. Your faith, your faith in Jesus Christ is shielded by the power of God. In other words, what can steal your faith? Nothing. There's no no spiritual force. There's no physical force that's ever going to take your faith away. It is shielded by God's power until the coming, until he comes back. You are protected. Your faith, your faith is protected by the power of God. That, that should be fantastic because you're going to go through some problems. We're all going to go through struggles. And then it says this, these struggles they have come so that, prove, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though it is refined by fire. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in the praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Church, your faith is worth more than all the gold that you could imagine. And, and we, thank you, thank you. And we squander our faith. 
We don't share our faith. We kind of hoard our faith. And yet God is interested in proving that your faith is true, your faith is real. And sometimes he struggles and trials to come into your life to help refine your faith. And we, God, take that away. Instead of God, prove me faithful in the midst of the struggle. Wouldn't that reframe your struggle? Wouldn't that reframe the trials that you're in? You're in a difficult period of time. You're, you're going through a challenging period of time. You've got doubts, and you say, God, re, God, God, use this time of doubt, use this time of hurt, use this time of pain to increase my faith in you. Because I want my faith to be genuine, and I don't want it to be false, I don't want it to be fake, I don't want it to be foolish. God, let's re so that you, you see your struggles as a way, as a way of obedience, as a way to show that your faith is worth more than your hope to win the lottery. So he says something, and then he says this. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your soul, your souls. Let me show you a quick clip to lighten the mood for a moment. This is a clip about, about the idea that you have not yet seen him. And this is a great strategy. And so if this works, and this video goes like... Good afternoon, good afternoon sir. Ah, good, good afternoon, afternoon sir. Ah, good afternoon. How are you? Fine, Fine sir. Fine, sir. What are you people drinking? This is fresh yo. Fresh yo is back. Yes, sir. Fresio is back. That's nice. Uh-huh. Mark Angel, I heard you just won the YouTube Gold Award. Is that true? Yes, sir. Wow. You people really try, you know. Thank you, sir. It's God, though. It's God that is doing everything for us, sir. Yes, sir. Which God? Our God. Your God. Where is your God? Our God is in heaven. Can you see your God? No. Can you touch your God? No. Then, there is no God. Eh? Science has proven it. That anything you cannot see or touch does not exist. So, you don't have a God. What's that? Are you a graduate? I am a professor. Professor? Excuse me. How do you know there is no God? Common sense. I use your sense. My sense is up here. Can you see your sense? No. Can you touch your sense? No. That means there is no sense. Hmm? Yes. Because according to sense, anything you cannot see or touch does not exist. So, you don't have sense. Emanela. <laughs> <laughs> And the passage, the passage says, even though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an glorious joy. Doesn't those two work well together? Church, no one here has personally met Jesus. I've not met him. No one has. I've not shaken his hand. I've not seen it. But I still believe in him. And, and even though you do not see him, you are now, and, and I believe in him. 
I believe and I've given my life to the cause of Jesus. And, and I hope that you have too. And if people say that you don't have any sense, no, let them know that they don't have any sense either, right? <laughs> let them know that. And, and Peter says, you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. So let's finish this off with some applications. Since God is to you, he has. He's given you, he's birthed you into a living hope, not a dead hope. He's, he, with his great mercy, he has he's showered over the top of you. Since he has done that, and since God is over the top for you, even though you are going through some difficult times in your life, God is over the top in love with you. Ever met anybody who's, who's, who's newly in love? You ever met anybody who's just started dating and, and can't stop thinking about that other person? And everything that they do, they're just thinking about that person? God is over the top in love with you. He is in the process of, of moving you and working in you to reflect him more and more, to be the image bearer that he created you to be. God, God desires you. God's grace for you is extravagant. Therefore, consistently rejoice. That's what I want you to do this week. I want you to, to choose to consistently rejoice. And, and just making rejoice part of your everyday thing this morning. And you know, you know, scientists that don't have common sense, they have said that if you wake up in the morning, you wake up in the morning and you say that you had a good night's sleep, even if you didn't, if you tell yourself, oh, I had a good night's sleep, you know what that will do to your body physically? It will convince your body that you had a good night's sleep. You guys doubt me, don't you? You guys doubt me. Well, try it. Try it. During the week and say, man, I had a really good night's sleep. And then see if that affects you. Because I want you to do that how you rejoice as well. Wake up in the morning, and I want you to continually rejoice throughout the whole day. People are going to say, what's wrong with you? Ah, I'm just choosing to rejoice today. Whether or not my circumstances warrant it. Constantly express your love for him. Constantly express your love for him. We were teasing Beth about her sewing, and we told her, you know, in the hymn of people's things, just put Jesus loves you in the hymn of her clothes, where no one can see it, but that's joy. And that's Beth just expressing her joy to God and her, and her love for God. So if you get an outfit made from her and it says Jesus loves you in her scene, you know that she's expressing the love of God. Be filled with glorious joy. Continually be filled with glorious joy. You know what's going to attract a lot of non-Christians to the Christian faith? It's our joy. It's our rejoicing in the midst of struggles. That's going to be the thing that attracts them. And they're going to say, I don't know what's going on in Paul's life. I don't know what's going on in Amy's life. But in the midst of all their struggles, they still have joy. I want some of that. And so the final slide says, insert video here. Ha <laughs> That's our application for this morning. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, Paul says. Be expressive of your love, like that video we watched of the animals with a hug. Express your love, and then be filled with glorious joy. Joy. It's a hallmark of who we are. Let's fill the world with God's joy this week. Let me pray for us as we leave. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to just briefly look at Peter's words to the church and then us as well. Lord, may, may, may these words resonate and echo in our life this week. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to, to just listen to your word. And then, Lord, I pray that our hearts were open, our minds were attentive, and our thoughts were on you.
pray. Amen.